0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Delighted to have you with me today. My goodness, there's a lot going on and I got news. So bro snurdly just texted me uh, during the break. uh, Rush Limbaugh's longtime call screener. Uh, 30 years he was with Rush. And, uh, Bo Sturdley, as you probably know, his real name is James Golden and he has a book coming out in November, rush on the radio, a tribute from a sidekick for 30 years. Um, I am so glad that James put this together. The official show observer, the call screener friend. I just, I, I've gotten to know, you know, so when I would fill in for Rush, uh, James would, would let Charlie sit in with me and we could engage with him and learn call screening techniques and how to hate humanity <laughs> or not. Um, it's just he's a he's a wonderful human being he, he, in his own right, uh, a great, great guy. In fact, the, the only time, uh, there are there are a couple of one, one, the The one time Rush Limbaugh got really mad at me, I invited snurdly to something that did not invite rush and he got his feelings hurt. And, and then I explained to him why I had done it. And he, he totally understood, but it was, uh, I gotta, gotta, and and, you know, you you can't really read tone from me. Oh, I could read the tone from this email for rush, (laughs) but then he, he understood why I did it. He was totally fine with it once I explained it to him. But, um, I just i i like James. Uh, regardless of, of being a friend of Rush Limbaugh's or not, um, was friends with James, and he's a tremendous guy, and I'm glad he did this. Um, so if you would like to order this Rush on the Radio: A Tribute from His Sidekick for 30 Years, I've got an Amazon link. If you text my name Eric to three three seven seven seven, I'll send you back a link. You can pre-order James's book. It comes out uh, in November good for I really am glad he did that. Um he more than anyone uh is someone who should do that. Now I got to I got to confess uh in, in the spirit of rush just a little bit. <laughs> it's another Apple event happening right now and I'm on the radio. And I it was I, I couldn't get out. It would have been bad form of me to get Alan Sanders to fill in for an hour so that I could go watch it. So I'll have to watch it later this evening. But nonetheless, they got new laptops, and it's it's t- it good because my laptop is giving me graphic card errors. I've had this laptop for a number of years, and it is starting to... Now, so I run, like, two giant monitors off of it in addition to the regular screen, and it it's I think it's an overheating problem. Nonetheless, I need to move on. Y'all don't care about that. I want to talk about polling. If you weren't here in the last hour, I think... Terry McAuliffe is going to win in Virginia because Virginia is a blue state. It's not a purple state. It's a blue state. We should stop considering it a purple state. It's a blue state. But I've run campaigns for a number of years. I ran campaigns. I, I started off as a volunteer, got involved in doing grassroots organization, communications. I, I've If there's a, a part of a campaign... I've done that part from licking envelopes to designing polls to doing the TV and the radio ads, the mail pieces. Uh, I I don't design them myself, but I I script them, oversee them, get them to the right people, negotiate the rates, get them on television and radio, handle the commissions, all that. You know, I did a lot of it as I was a lawyer, and and so you can get me for cheap because. I didn't feel ethically as a lawyer. I should be also charging commissions on top. I was very bad at it. You know, this is actually where consultants make their money in politics. People don't realize this. So you have gross ratings or, or gross rates. You you do an ad and you give it to your campaign consultant to put the ad on on TV. Well, your consultant, if they're using a media media campaign strategy group, those people are going to make a commission. And then you, the, the campaign consultant, you're going to make a small commission. Typically, it'll be like 10 and 5, or if you're just handling one person, they'll take a 15% commission. And so they're making money. You're actually charging. If you, the candidate, place the ad yourself, instead of letting the consultants do it, you'd save money. But the problem is the campaign of the candidate, you're so busy, you can't do it. They can. They know how to navigate the black box that can be ad rates, and so you you do that. I have I have done everything on campaigns. I started off uh, as a as an elections lawyer, after having been a volunteer and then working for campaigns for. I never really got paid to begin with, and then as a lawyer, I started doing a lot of work. And one of the things that I did over time was I learned about polling. Polling is an imprecise art polling is worse these days than it ever has been as i have said repeatedly the polling averages are more important than the than the actual polls and the polling trends are better to focus on than the actual individual numbers. In the Real Clear Politics polling average, Terry McAuliffe has a 2.2% lead over Glenn Youngkin, 49.5 to 47.3. Youngkin is closing. Fox News has McAuliffe up 5. Emerson College has him up one. CBS has him up three. The Trafalgar Group, which is Republican leaning, has a tie. Now, let me spend just a moment here defending the Real Clear Politics polling average. I became skeptical of the Real Clear Politics polling average in 2020. And the reason I did is because they were including a lot of pollsters who I found to be. Fairly unreliable, and in fact were unreliable. And other polling groups that kind of latched on to what Real Clear Politics had been doing, they were giving weight to different polls. And it seems like if you've got a a a polling group that historically has a Democratic bias or is explicitly Democrat, or a polling group that has historically a Republican bias or is explicitly Republican, you should weight it less. Than the nonpartisan pollsters. That made sense to me. And in 2020, it really did seem like people were trying to game the real clear politics system of taking all the polls and averaging them together. And so I was very skeptical of it in 2020 and said so. And it turns out I was wrong. Uh, and their historic pattern of combining all the polls. Democrat and Republican, and all the other polls in between, and not adding a, a particular weight, which is just a way of adding their own biases, they outperformed everybody. There were lots of folks taking shots at them in 2020. And I was asking questions and casting down on them. And, and so I got to say, they are the gold standard. Real Clear Politics did a better job than others in 2020. I was skeptical given the polling that was out there in the polls, but they did a better job. And so I, I gotta tell you, when I look at the real career politics polling average, they've got the Trafalgar Group, which is Republican in there. They've got Emerson College, which isn't a great pollster. They they lean a little bit Democrat. They're, that's fine. They're in there, they're paying attention, and they got a McAuliffe 2.2, and the the trend lines are that Glenn Youngkin is closing. That I think is why McAuliffe is concerned, because McAuliffe the the trend lines and the momentum are for Glenn Youngkin. Momentum is a real thing in campaigns, and you tend to be able to feel it. I have never worked on a campaign where you did not have a sense of where the winds were pushing. It is a very real and palpable thing until you get down to the very local level. When you're running a statewide campaign, though, you know which way the wind is blowing and you can feel it. It is a real thing. It is a palpable thing. I remember, for example, uh, in 2018, Stacey Abrams had the wind at her back towards the end of the campaign. And then a few weeks before the election in Georgia, when it was Hurricane Michael blew through South Georgia. And Stacey Abrams, in fact, it was a year ago this past weekend that Stacey Abrams was the first person on planet Earth to ever discover Glasgow County, Georgia. It's a county it didn't exist. She was on Meet the Press, and she talked about Glasgow County. Uh, it, it, it doesn't exist. It's not a South Georgia county, as she claimed. But also, she gave a speech that was uncovered at the time, and she said that uh, if you lived in South Georgia, you no longer had to work on the farm. You could go to Atlanta, you get a good job. And it was a throwaway line, and it reverberated significantly. In the last three weeks of the campaign, particularly in middle and South Georgia, where it's heavily agriculture, she had been making inroads with the farm community, particularly black farmers in South Georgia. And then here she comes, a devastating hurricane comes through South Georgia, and her response is to say, well, now you can go get a good job in the city, you don't have to work on farms. And she didn't specifically mean it about the damage from the hurricane, but it was interpreted that way, and it completely sabotaged her momentum you could feel it out in the countryside that people who had been open maybe this 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 Kemp guy i don't know maybe he's too too shallow maybe he sounds too much like a redneck maybe he doesn't sound like he's a serious guy she's got it together a, suddenly they're like you know what this guy gets me this guy relates to me forget all the other issues i'm going with him you could feel the momentum and in the final polling you could actually see that uh, this was this was really happening the same as in Virginia has happened with Terry McAuliffe and the debate there over schools and uh, that, that parents shouldn't have a say. You could feel the momentum shift, and McAuliffe got very defensive and forced the momentum to shift even further, Glenn and you can see it in the polling. But here's the problem. Are the polls any good? This is why, going back to clear politics, why I, I think they, they take them all together, and they average them all out. And that is, it's good that they do that it, it, it because it neutralizes some of the biases that that could otherwise come in. But polling at the state level isn't good anymore. National polling isn't good anymore. We've had a number of, of observations out there from a lot of people that the, we don't really know why the polls no longer work. There are actually a number of reasons why. One of the reasons is more and more people have cell phones, and you're not really allowed to call cell phones without prior permission. People do it. The the extended warranty robocalls, they're illegal. They're not supposed to happen, but they do. But that then makes people less likely to answer the phone for pollster. On top of that, conservatives, Republicans tend to answer the phone less. I don't know why it is. I would assume everyone is this way, but the data actually shows that Republicans are far less likely to answer if they don't know who's calling the Democrats are. And I don't know what the psychology of that is, but a lot of data shows it. Same with Hispanic voters. Hispanic voters are less engaged with the phone. And so pollsters are trying to come up with new ways. They're trying to come up with email lists and so they're gonna spam people with email. Well, that works if you're you're technology-wise, you're you're younger. You're into that, but a lot of people have aggressive spam filters, so it blocks it out. We have just lost the ability to connect with people to be able to get good polls. And pollsters are really clueless as to how to do it. And so what we're actually in the middle of right now is we're seeing a bunch of pollsters shaking up their methodologies to try to figure out a good way to poll poll. And then they're sticking to groups of people and they're pulling the snot out of the same – not the same people, but the same pattern of people, the same demographic of people because they know their underlying numbers of 45, 49, whatever. Those aren't precise, but they can still see the patterns in there. So they can see if the 45 goes up to 49 and the 49 goes up to 45 and it stays. Well, there's a real shift going on in one person's momentum or another someone's favor or not. We don't know what the underlying number is, but pollsters right now, they just don't really know. Fox News actually has not had a, a good polls in the last number of years. And in fact, I see the Fox News poll that has Terry McAuliffe up five. It's of registered voters, not of likely voters. It's a thousand for registered voters. Likely voters always lean more to the Republicans, not in favor of Republicans. But the registered voters as a pool tend to be more Democrat. You narrow it down to likely voters and you still get a, a plus or minus one or two percentage point bias for Democrats because, again, Democrats are more likely to answer the phones. And even though they do skewing and they try to get a statistical sample, it's never quite good, but it gets better. But again, we're kind of flying blind to the polling right now. And that's one of the intriguing things about politics in America right now is we don't really have a sense of things. We know what, what it engages with Republicans and conservatives. We know the issues that engage with Democrats and liberals. We kind of have a sense of what, what moderates and independents are engaged with, but we don't have a real way to merge these things together with statistical data to show us what's working or not. Everybody's kind of grasping at straws and going by their gut. It's old school politics. And that's actually what kind of makes this time in American politics really interesting and why we're seeing some of what we're seeing out there. It's all about firing up your base right now and what gets your base motivated and trying to find things that don't at the same time alienate independent voters and might draw them in. And we know education is one in Virginia Republicans think uh, will happen and, and work for them. But we won't really know who's up or who's down until Election Day, the real poll that matters. And this is really the first time in American politics where we don't really have a good sense of it other than with momentum shifts in the polling aggregate. And if that's the case, McAuliffe's still ahead, but Youngkin's closing fast in Virginia, and the GOP overall nationwide tends to be on a trajectory to really dominate in 2022 if you just follow the momentum lines forward. Y'all, from the moment I sat in my ex-chair, my body said, This is what a real office chair is supposed to be like. I had, gosh, I had gone through office chairs and then I got my ex chair and it is the perfect chair. In fact, my ex chair, unlike your chair, can massage my back while I'm sitting doing three hours of talk radio. It can even heat up and cool down, depending on my office, which tends to run hot in the summer and cold in the wintertime. And it's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed for the X-chair. And once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic lumbar, DVL, they call it, dynamic variable lumbar, your back's going to be happy. What I need you to do, you got to go check out the X-chair because yeah, I bought the, y'all know the expensive brand and I bought it. It was a good chair. It actually was a really good chair. And X-Chair takes it to the next level. What you need to do is go to xchaireric.com now. That's X, the letter X chair, erick.com or call 844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's com. It is worth it. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Ah, this is, wow. Um, okay, this is hilarious. Oberlin College is a highly progressive college. Don't send your children there. This is just kind of funny. I, I... I got this, um, my goodness gracious. Um, oh, hang on a second. Let me, let me, I just, there. there's There's a method of my madness here. This is important. This is very important. I, I got to get this key detail. Oh, yep, yep, yep. This is, yep, yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Yep, this is, yeah, this is, uh, uh-huh. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Yep. Oh, dear. Okay. Here we go. This is Oberlin College. Baldwin Cottage at Oberlin. On October 7th, residents of Baldwin Cottage received an email from Josh Matos, the area coordinator for multicultural and identity based communities. I am reaching out to you to give you an update on the radiator project, Matos wrote. Starting tomorrow, Friday, October 8th, the contractors will be entering rooms between 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. to install the radiators. This will mean they will be in your room for a period of time to complete the work. I had not been contacted about any sort of radiator installation before this email, so right away the word update stood out to me as untrue. I grew concerned reading the second line, which informed me that I had less than 24 hours to prepare for the arrival of the installation crew, and I was further perturbed by the ambiguous for a period of time. In general, I am very averse to people entering my personal space. This anxiety was compounded by the fact that the crew would be strangers and they were more than likely to be cisgender men. Baldwin Cottage is the home of the Women and Trans Collective. The college website describes the dorm as a close-knit community that provides women and transgendered persons a safe space. Cisgender men are not allowed to live on the second and third third floors and many residents don't invite them to that space. So would you rather freeze? Apparently. All right. I got to, I got to read you all these headlines. See, see which one is not like the others. If you will, for just a moment, uh, let's play that. You know, that game. It's one of the ways you learned in school is which of these is not like the others. Fidel Castro. Actually, you know what? Let me do. I got to push a button. There we go. All right. Which of these is not like the other? This is the Associated Press. Fidel Castro, who defied U.S. for 50 years, dies at 90 in Cuba. Iran's popular General Soleimani became an icon by targeting U.S. Hugo Chavez, fiery Venezuelan leader, dies at 58. Colin Powell dies. Exemplary general stained by Iraq claims. Let's review them again. Colin Powell dies. Exemplary general stained by Iraq claims. Fidel Castro, who defied U.S. for 50 years, dies at 90 in Cuba. Iran's popular General Soleimani became an icon by targeting U.S. Hugo Chavez, fiery Venezuelan leader, dies at 58. Only one of them in the headline had his legacy stained by something. Only one of them criticized in the headline. Really? And it happens to be the American and it's the Associated Press doing it. Really? Is it any wonder people don't trust the media these days? Is it any wonder? I I suspect that uh, this is willful. By the way, the, the Huffington Post and others, they're all out there attacking Colin Powell for his claims about Iraq hiding um, weapons of mass destruction. A claim we now know the intelligence was wrong on. Powell himself was not misleading. In fact, Powell was the guy advocating not to invade Iraq. Uh, Famously told George W. Bush, it was the Pottery Barn rule. You break it, you buy it. And yet they're they're dragging him. Of course, you know, they'll drag George W. Bush as well when he dies. There is this ongoing effort uh, by progressives to to try to punish anyone who tries to, quote unquote, normalize George W. Bush. You know, there's been this great shift on the right now in the age of Trump. For, it's acceptable now to hate George W. Bush. It's so funny to me the people I see on the right who despise George W. Bush now, some of them were the biggest Bush leg humpers. Uh, possible back in the day. I mean, the, the, those people, they they just wanted... I mean, he could do no wrong to them. And they're like, I've always hated that guy. He's like, I remember when I criticized him and you got mad at me for criticizing him on Harriet Myers or immigration or the like and No Child Left Behind. I actually liked George W. Bush a great deal, but was critical of him when he was president of things I didn't like. And it's just funny to me to see some of these people out there today who are so now invested in Trump, but they always get invested in the leader of the party because they're Republicans more than they're individual critical thinkers. People do it on the left as well. The people who loved Bill Clinton, and now they're like, oh, he was trash. I love Barack Obama. And now it's Joe Biden. Where? Where's Barack Obama? Can't stand that guy. We need Joe Biden. It's just, it's funny how people are so invested in party identity that they don't think for themselves. And they, they're they convinced that they think for themselves, and they're not. It, it, you know, but this, this going back to these legacies, it is, the media and overwhelmingly they tend to be progressive in fact there's this big argument these days and this big debate right now on uh the uh, how do we balance objectivity and it's very interesting to me to see a large number of progressive journalists retweeting articles of late and opinion pieces on how we need the media to stop trying to be objective tell us what they think and tell us the truth and it's always the truth But it's not really the truth. It's the truth as they see it. And that is the dangerous game because they want you to believe something is true. And oftentimes it's it's partly true, but they use that partial truth to tell lies. The media has been excelling at that lately, particularly the partisan political press that tends to lean Democrat, tends to lean progressive which is why more and more people don't trust them anymore. The fact that they're so open about wanting to show their biases and on social media do show their biases is another reason. So many people choose not to believe the media anymore and go looking for stuff they themselves believe is true and their own confirmation biases are tested. It's all, I mean, it's logical outcome. Um, of what's going on as the country divides itself further around politics and everything becomes political these days. I mean, everything out there these days is, I shouldn't say everything, but most things are political. And this also comes as the grim reality for Democrats is beginning to set in. There's actually a a piece out there in the Hill on this. I don't like the Hill For a variety of reasons, I try to keep them out of show prep, but I I couldn't pass up on this one because it does actually capture some of what's happening. Now, let me just tell you why I don't like The Hill. Uh, The Hill is a notorious abuser of people's trust on social media. The Hill will run excerpts from stories, and when you read the story, they directly contradict their tweet, and their tweet tends to be highly outrageous and inflammatory, and it's all designed to get you to click through to The Hill. I find it very disingenuous. Uh, I I find that their social media lies more than most other media outlets. And so I try to avoid including the Hill in my show prep. But I I couldn't miss this story, frankly, because it actually does capture what's going on out there in in a, a pretty big way. Democrats are grappling with the increasingly dire political reality facing them in next year's midterm elections as warning signs pile up. Once hopeful that they could defy the typical midterm shellacking dealt to the party in power, a series of foreboding developments has rocked that sense of optimism. President Biden's approval ratings are in free fall. His top legislative priorities have stalled. And just this week, Representative John Yarmouth of Kentucky announced he would retire, making him the first senior House Democrat to bow out ahead of the midterms. In conversations with the Hill in recent days, several Democratic strategists and operatives expressed a growing sense of pessimism about 2022. Each one said the party's recent decline is reversible. Still more offered a sober assessment of Democrats' position headed into the final stretch of 2021. To be blunt, said one. I'm not feeling good about where we are. Look, it has ne- was never going to be easy or anything. It was always kind of contingent on what got done. I just think we're starting to see how fragile this is. Democrats have virtually no room for error in 2022. Republicans need to flip only five seats in the House to recapture control of the lower chamber, and they stand to benefit right off the bat from redistricting key states and the historical maxim that the party of a new president tends to lose ground in midterm elections. And while the fight for the Senate majority appears less dire for the party, the GOP is defending more territory than the Democrats, including five open seats. A net loss of even a single seat next year would cost the Democrats their control of the chamber. Those tenuous congressional majorities are among the chief causes of Democrats' current angst. Now, Democrats are pointing to their fundraising. Their fundraising is going well. In fact, in many cases, the Democrats' fundraising is going better than the Republicans. In Georgia, for example, Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat, raised something like $9 million. None of the Republicans, including Herschel Walker, competed. But there's a crowded primary field, and that will consolidate. And we're learning more and more now as things shift in the country. What's happening is is your money advantage doesn't necessarily translate at a certain level. At a certain level, things are so polarized and people's minds are so made up, it's very hard to overcome the general level of angst or anger by spending another dollar. And the angst and anger is palpable out there with what's going on. Let me play you two clips here. This is uh, Chuck Todd from Meet the Press. Retailers are warning of price hikes and shortages over the holiday season. Products are not just harder to get, but more expensive. Prices for kids' shoes up 12% in the past year. Beef up 17%. New and used cars up 24%. And gas up 42%. Yeah, and here's uh, Amy Walter from the Cook Political Report. I don't know that Democratic voters are particularly excited about Build Back Better or an infrastructure bill. Don't you see I all, think all the individual were- polling that they <laughs> <I> tell you <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just might not like know nuts. it, just because I know it. If I something polls well doesn't, doesn't mean it's that on it's salient, the it's not right. salient. Yeah, this is, you know, the Democrats are starting to lash out at the media, saying the media is not doing a good enough job selling their Build Back Better plan. That's not really for the media to do. Now, I'm surprised the media is not trying to sell this, given how vested they are in the idea that Trump is terrible, bad, and awful, etc. 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 Um, but even the media can't sell their poop sandwich. And they've got so many different pieces that are merged together in this plan. And we'll get into it. The plan's starting to fall apart. Um, it's it's just, it, it, it's hard to voice what exactly their Build Back Better plan is. And I mean, who doesn't want to Build Back Better? Of course it sounds good. Of course it pulls well, but the public has no idea. But they have angst along the way because of what else is going on. Yes, to the Chuck Todd clip, prices are going up across the board. And I want to play you a, 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 a important clip here from Pete Buttigieg. I played it earlier, but you need to listen to something he says. Well, certainly a lot of the challenges that we've been experiencing this year will continue into next year. But there are both short-term and long-term steps that we can take to do something about it. Look, uh, part of what's happening isn't just the supply side. It's the demand side. Demand is off the charts. Retail sales are through the roof. And if you think about those images of uh, ships, for example, waiting at anchor on the West Coast, you know, every one of those ships uh, is full of record amounts of goods that Americans are buying uh, because demand is up because income is up. Because income is up. Is income really up? Because if you haven't gotten a 5.6% pay raise lately, your income's actually down because of inflation. I went to the grocery store yesterday and spent, I, I actually had a laugh at it. It was $200.47. $200.47. And I was like, can I, can I put something that's 47 cents just so i can get it to the perfect i mean it was on the nose 200 plus 47 cents and it was not a a great big pile of stuff but prices are up i mean your gallon of milk now is over three dollars a gallon beef prices are up we were grilling hamburgers yesterday prices are going up prices of shoes you know i'm i've got a 12 year old now who's going through a growth spurt and it seems like we're having to to buy new shoes every few months. He just keeps growing. His feet will not stop growing. I don't know what's going on. Everything's going up. And so if you didn't get a sizable pay raise, your income actually went down. So for Buttigieg to say, one of the reasons we got shortages right now is because people's income up. Uh, why do we have shortages of sports drinks at the grocery store? There was a shortage of crackers at my grocery store yesterday. They didn't have crackers on the shelf. No, it's not a white people reference. They they didn't have saltines. Stop it. (laughs) I mean, I'm just, I'm a surprise. You go through the grocery store and there are still empty shelves. And those empty shelves are not because people's income went up. It's because there are things you can't get at the grocery store right now. And it varies by market. So, you know, in my grocery store for the last couple of weeks, there have been shortages of, of sports drinks, Powerade and Gatorade. They've had nearly completely empty shelves of, of those products. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said, you know, in, in his grocery store, it's not that. He was having the, the cookie and cracker shortages. Like there were no Oreos at his at his supermarket. And it's not that people are coming in wholesale, and they just they just didn't get them. There have been a couple of days where I've gone to the grocery store and there were different cuts of meat that I could normally find and I couldn't find them at the grocery store. And the butcher, well, we we may get some in this week. We're just not sure supply chain. That has nothing to do with people's income going up. For bootages to go on television and tell, well, you know, the we got supplies that are short because people are buying so much because their income going up. It's simply not true because of inflation. You're actually making less money right now, even if you've gotten a pay raise, unless it was almost a 6% pay raise, which a lot of people aren't getting, most people aren't getting. How out to lunch are these people? They're greatly out to lunch. And that is the Democrats' worst nightmare right now, is fewer people have as much take-home pay as they did. And even when your take-home pay is going up, you're able to buy less because prices have gone up so much more. If they can't get there, if they can't figure out this problem, they really are going to have a bad time next year. And by the way, the odds are they may be able to figure it out, but they're not going to figure it out in time to avoid a voter backlash. I, I, I got a story I need to tell you guys about, uh, and, and I, I want to go on and do this now. But I forgot to mention Eden Pure in the last segment, and Andrew told me in my ear, and I didn't didn't hear him. So I got to remind you that you can get the three pack of the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. If you don't know what it is, uh, you can clean the air in your house. It really it eliminates odors. Um, I use it particularly, I carry one with me. They're small. You can hold them in your hand for rental cars typically because, you know, if someone's been smoking in the rental car or God knows what they've been smoking, it can eliminate the odors. Uh, I travel with them typically because it also, it, it eliminates the, the mildew, the mold, the pollen, but the bacteria and the viruses that float in the air as well. They're great. They pack them all up. You can carry them in your head. They're highly portable. You can get the three pack right now, save $200 and get them for less than $200 and get free shipping by going to EdenPureDeals.com. You click on my name, Eric Erickson. You'll see the Eden Pure three pack. You click it, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm three pack. Click it, put it in your cart. There's an orange checkout button you'll see. When you do that, you see a discount code box and you put in Eric 3, E R I C K 3, click apply, and it'll take $200 off. So you'll get three of these for less than $200. You'll save $200 and you'll get free shipping and they will eliminate odors. And they are so highly portable. They're well-made. You get one for the upstairs, one for the downstairs, one for your car or RV or your basement, wherever you need it to get rid of the musty odors, the smelly odors, the tobacco odors, the pet odors, EdenPureDeals.com. The checkout code is ERIC3. There's this story and man, this feels like a harbinger of something. And it's a, it's a one-off story from Philly. But just just listen to this. As a woman was being raped while on a train near Philadelphia on Wednesday night, riders watched, failed to intervene, and did not call 911, authorities said. A man whom officials identified as Fiston Goy sat down next to a woman at about 10 p.m. on a train that was traveling westbound on the Market-Frankfurt line toward the 69th Street Transportation Center. Mr. Goy attempted to touch her a few times, said Andrew Bush, a spokesman for the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority known as SEPTA. The woman pushed back and tried to stop Mr. Goy from touching her. Then, unfortunately, he proceeded to rip her clothes off. The assault lasted eight minutes. No passengers intervened. Several passengers were in the car, but Mr. Barnhart declined to say how many investigators are still working to determine the exact number. You know, this reminds me, there was, I guess, this this thing in the, the 1970s of a murder in New York City. Someone screaming for help and no one helped. And it was just, it, it was kind of a, a plot line, if you will, a, a point on the, on the timeline where you could say things went from bad to worse. But then people really kind of snapped out of it and, and said, we got to do something. And to see this in, in Philly, where, you know, the, the people in Philly are loud, they're boisterous, they're obnoxious. I can't believe none of them would stand up and, and, and lend us. Or even, they didn't even call 911. What's going on with people out there? We've just surrendered our basic humanity and character over and and led the worst of ourselves. We, we've, something's got to give in our society today. Uh, it, this goes to so many points of society. But this is, what an awful thing. People need to stand up and do the right thing.